Hey, Scott. Yes, Adam? Was the Iron Sheik racist? Yes. Really? Reverse racist. Yeah, that's right. It was it was white man's uh, uh, caricature of Middle Eastern culture. Pretty much. I think this also is the longest intro we've ever had. <laughs> Cue the music. Coming to you almost live from the Squared Circle. This is The Unknown Studio. I'm Scott. I'm Adam. And we are your hosts. What a show. What a show we have for you today, my friends. The greatest show on earth. Because, yeah. That, I, mean, I think that's trademarked. I shouldn't have said that. Yeah. The, the, it's probably the best show that you're listening to right now, actually, I, I would argue. And I would, I would, the reason for that is because we will have a couple of great segments, including Sex Talk with the Traveling Tickle Trunk. Always. And always. Always worth fantastic. listening. Yes. Yeah. And we're uh, Scott and I went down to uh, Transcend Coffee's new downtown location to check out what that was all about. Uh, so you'll hear more about that on the show. But right now we have Ryan Rowe in the studio with the Accident Will. He is the guitarist and lead vocalist. Ryan, thank you for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me, boys. Now we started out talking about professional wrestling, uh, and maybe it wasn't professional, but I understand you trained as a wrestler. I did. Uh, a couple years back, when I was living down on the coast, I went to the school that the local promotion Extreme Canadian Championship Wrestling operated, the uh, Slam Academy. Uh, one of my lifelong dreams, besides music, was to be a pro wrestler. Um, I gave it a shot. Uh, I was pretty injury prone, and it is very difficult. Uh, and I, So uh, eventually injuries forced me out. Um, what, what kind of injuries? I dislocated my elbow. Oh, Oh, who's ever dislocated an elbow? Well, that's the thing. Everyone dislocates their shoulder, and then, you know, everyone who does that says, oh, that's okay, just pop it back in. We'll be f-. You, you don't just pop an elbow <laughs> back in and go. It, uh, it's a very, very painful kind of uh, injury, and it took a good couple months of rehab to really get it back strong. Um, and I get it, but I didn't quit because I got hurt. Um, I quit because... It was, uh, you have to kind of, wrestling, I think about like any art form, to a certain extent, you have to decide what you're willing to sacrifice. Yeah. And wrestling, even on a part-time, you know, level, working for a fed that runs twice a month, you know, you can't do it as a hobby. It is still a part-time commitment. You still have to go to the gym. You still have to work hard. You have to train. It's a very, very difficult art form, a very difficult discipline. Um, And I decided that I wasn't willing to sa- make that sacrifice and and risk, you know, our family's income and things like that. Uh, I just, you know, without, I didn't really, you know, I lost a fair amount of money because I wasn't able to work for a couple of weeks. And even when it went back, obviously, like as a waiter, it's like with one arm, there's only so much yeah. you can accomplish. So we eventually determined it just wasn't worth the, it wasn't something I wanted to make the sacrifice at this point in time. Um, but, you know, for a year and a half, two years, I was setting up rings putting things together doing what was asked of me uh you start at the very bottom when you're a trainer when you're a, you're a student you're nothing yeah you show up early you put up the ring you stay late you take down the ring you go to training you don't blow it off just because you are tired yeah you know did, now mm-hmm. was was getting out of it a hard decision or was it a pretty easy decision by that point you know it was an easy decision and and it was an easy decision for me because i made it a decision i wasn't forced out 
I didn't just kind of sputter to a stop because, you know, I, I'm certainly a type of person in my life. I've always wanted to do a lot of things and started in lots of projects that I've never just finished. Um, I made a decision to stop and I could have kept going and I could have or I could have stopped and I decided that this was the point. No, I'm going to stop. But I'm very one of the reasons it was easy is I did it. Yeah. I didn't get to a point where I had a match and that would have been fun. That would have been a lot of fun. But you know what? I went to training. I got in better shape than I'd ever got in my life. I did shit that I never thought I'd be able to do. And you know, I, I feel like maybe I didn't quite make it. Maybe I didn't do whatever. But for myself, I proved it to myself that I could do it. And, you know, it just didn't entirely go where it did. But uh, no regrets. Fair, fair enough. Now, are you still quite fond of watching wrestling on TV? Are we, are, do you even watch WWE? Is oh, that, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you got to watch WWE. I mean, I know a lot of indie fans don't like the WWE, but the thing about being in wrestling, and I'm very careful in, the, in what I choose to say here, is it obviously, I think, gives you a completely different perspective. And, you know, one of the biggest pers- perspective changes I had was just, in this day and age, obviously, a lot of wrestling fans are on the internet, the interwebs, as it were. And they think they know everything that goes on backstage. They think they know wrestling and how to wrestle and what makes wrestling good. And there is, in a lot of ways, I think modern wrestling has lost a lot of things over the last 10, 20, 30 years, um, which is a whole separate discussion. But it just blew my mind how little most of these fans know. And I don't say that to insult anybody, but you know what? Most of you fans on the Internet, you don't know what the fuck you're talking about. You know, John Cena can't wrestle. No, John Cena can wrestle. He can wrestle perfectly fine. I don't particularly like what he's selling, but you know what? WWE wants him to be this performer. He's their main guy. He sells boatloads of merchandise. You might not like it, but sorry, he's the most profitable guy they've got right now, and it is a business, and I think that's the biggest thing most fans never stop to think about. Wrestling is a money-making business. The entire point of the business is to make money, to make you buy a ticket and come into the building and watch it. And sorry if you're honestly, it's not your thing right now, but there's a lot of people who pay to see him and buy his merchandise, right? Yeah, but he but can wrestle. Are you kidding? He can wrestle. You're well, and even a lot of people kind of look back at, uh, I'd say classic. So <laughs> no, but it's, it's a fair point. A lot of people look back at like classic wrestling going, oh, well, wrestling was real then. You know, it was real men having awesome matches. And you look back at that and you're like, Hulk Hogan knew like four moves. He was a big star, but it was because exactly the same reason that John Cena is a big star. He was well-marketed. He could sell the action figures. He could put on an exciting match mm-hmm. without necessarily needing to do a lot. That's true. Why, why would, you know, I mean, most art forms, in a lot of ways, less is more. Yeah. Right? Kiss rule. Kiss rule applies. The thing about Hogan, I mean, first of all, there is that thing that can't be taught. There is those people. That X factor. They simply have charisma. Absolutely. And he totally did. You could have, you know, some people say, oh, anyone could have been in that spot Hogan was in. No. No, no. Vince McMahon made Hogan, but Hogan made WWF. You needed both because you put, you know, there was, before Hogan, Jimmy Snuka was supposedly going to be the the guy they were going to push as the main babyface. And Jimmy Snuka was incredibly popular and very over. But I don't think he would have become, I don't think he would have met that same levels that Hogan did at all. But the thing with Hogan, you got to think about, First of all, if you ever watch his Japan matches, which makes me sound like an indie geek, but the fact is he does more in Japan because he had to, and he can work his ass off if he wants to. He didn't have to, so why would he? Second of all, Hogan had two most very important things, especially as a good guy. First of all, his timing was insane. Let, let's face facts. He, he knew the right time to do anything, and he could sell. Hogan looked like he was getting the crap beat out of him in every single match, 
all his facial expressions, his body language, everything. Second of all, when he did his comeback, he had something called fire. And and you can see it. You can see it. You could watch some random wrestler guy do the exact same thing Hogan did, and it's not believable. Because it, you just have to have that inner fire. You have to show that fire. And that's when the crowd goes, yeah. Yeah, and even if it was over the top, I think that it was it was easy to to as a viewer to just be like, no, 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 no. This is this is the way it is. This is totally realistic to me. I'm, I'm I buy into it. But then you see another wrestler try to do the the comeback from being pummeled, and you'd be like, yeah, I don't. That's not really. I don't buy it. No, and that, and that's exactly it. I mean, if wrestling was easy, everyone would be making fit money hand over fist right now. Yeah, wrestling isn't easy. Wrestling is very difficult, and. The physical side of it aside, and obviously people do the wrestling is fake thing. And I think in 2011, I think we can get over that now. We all get it. We all know wrestling is not a pure athletic competition. But wrestling is an insanely demanding and physical uh, performance art. I've likened it to uh, to ballet. Hear me out. Ballet is an incredibly demanding, very physical art form. It is something that people have to constantly keep at like their peak Mm -hmm. physical condition they're constantly training they're working their asses off their injuries happen all the time Mm -hmm. it's it's incredibly demanding and you wouldn't look at a ballet performance and say well that's not really that's not really athletic well it is it's not a sport but it's athletic and i say the same thing about professional wrestling well i I think that's where people get i mean figure skating i think you'd almost put in a similar thing and i mean obviously you got to put in the jim ross quote this ain't ballet folks but at the same, I don't disagree but with you at all. Scott just said it was. <laughs> I don't disagree with you at all because it, it is more akin to ballet or figure skating. As much as that is not manly and macho to say. I think there are some male ballet dancers who would disagree with you on that point. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. A lot of Russians. Um, you know, maybe Ivan Koloff would have some appreciation for all that. <laughs> or Nikita. Coffee lovers in Edmonton can rejoice because Transcend has opened its third location. This one, downtown on Jasper Avenue, occupying the space that used to be held by Axis Cafe. Scott C. Bourgeois and I made a trip down there earlier this week to chat with Paul, the owner, and find out what his plans are for world domination. There you go. So we're at the opening of uh, Transcend Coffee's third location. This is a momentous occasion, isn't it, Paul? It is. It is actually. It's a. It's a bit odd and crazy all at the same time. It's uh, not something we planned, for sure. Uh, we always had a, an idea we wanted to come downtown, but that was probably another year away. So it was really exciting to be able to, sort of, uh, secure this location. And in, in a lot, in a lot of ways, it was a great space already. It had great bones. Uh, you know, it just didn't take a lot of work on our part to transform it into our own thing so it's been really cool so you're in the former axis cafe space they vacated um what changes have you made to the space well we painted the place obviously um new art on the walls uh you know distinctly trying to remind people through the big images on the walls and stuff that there's you know this is about coffee and but the biggest change obviously is it's transcend uh you know the axis always uh, provided a product that was not local. It wasn't. It was. It was a Vancouver product to start with, and then they ended up moving to Seattle after that. And so, you know, it's an opportunity now for people to experience a locally roasted and and more than just local. It's a it's a product that, that we're pretty confident we can say it's one of the best coffees in you know all of Canada for sure. Yeah. Having tried it, I, I would say that I agree. <laughs> um, 
so you're you're downtown now. You've got three locations total, and I understand that uh, you have plans maybe to start baking your own stuff and all that. Yeah, well, we're excited about that. It, we were, we've run into a glitch with the city right now. And planning and development department aren't your best friends all the time. but So we've got some planning or development permit issues right now, but we're basically at the very back of Argyle, our, our original location. We're building out a bakery there. So um, one of the guys that works for me, sort of part-time, Jeff Johnson, he's got his eyes set on being an artisan baker, and Chad Moss, who's used to be our roaster, is now sort of moving into the food supervisory role. And they've, they're, they've been working on a really exciting uh, menu which is going to be sort of Central South American street food. So it's really unique, but really tasty, really fun, uh, sort of shabby chic. But uh, just it's going to be a really a really fun menu that that is just unique to the city. No one's got it going. And and once we get the food rolled out, then obviously we can also get get our license. And then right. both Garno and Jasper will be licensed, and we'll be doing sort of unique microbreweries, um, some nice uncommon old world wines, and some unheard of new world wines and. Yeah, nothing too fancy or crazy, but just sort of introducing people to some value products that is, aren't in the market right now. Is it fair to say that you're building an empire here in the city of Edmonton? <laughs> there we go. Uh, empire Avenue? No. Uh, <laughs> yeah. No, I don't think so. I think, I don't think so. You know, there was, it's just, we're just excited about, we're, we're really passionate about the coffee that we serve, that we, we spend all this time and energy sourcing some of the best coffee in the world. and. We're really, we want people to understand and experience what coffee can be. And part of the challenge that we've got in Edmonton is exposing ourselves to a marketplace, right? When it was, it was really easy to think that we were well known when we were just at Argyle because, you know, we were busy and there was lots of people all the time and they're always talking about us. But when we opened Jack Garneau, we quickly found out that, okay, we're not that well known, really, we're not. It's, we're not a household name by any stretch. Uh, we, we surveyed people around the university and, we were lucky if two out of ten even knew of it knew what Transcend was, right? So, it's really been an issue of exposure more than anything. So I think that's one of the things we're really excited about for this venue is it's a bit more high profile, right downtown, and it's just that one more step to to just making ourselves known a little bit. So we've got an amazingly loyal following. The customers that know about us already, they love us and they're so loyal, and we couldn't ask for better, you know, a better fan base or whatever you want to call it, a tribe or whatever it is. But it's. Uh, but it's still really small and the city's huge. And I, you know, with each new independent cafe that opens up that focuses on quality, it's one more reason for people to sort of walk away from the, the green giant and go, oh, there's something different, right? That was going to be my next question, actually, is um, because I saw Nathan Box here from Elm Cafe. Mm-hmm. And I was going to ask, is there is there friendly or unfriendly competition between uh, your independent coffee shops and other independents here in the city? No, well, at least not from our part, right? I. You know, Nate and I are friends. Uh, you know, Jeff from Credo used to work at Transcend while he was getting this place up running. From my perspective, there's plenty of room in the city. Like, there's just not enough of us yet. If you go to a place like Seattle, you know, there's an independent coffee shop on every street corner, and we just don't have that yet. So, there's not enough. We're, we're not there yet. Edmonton yeah. is not a food and, food and beverage culture city yet. We don't understand it. So the more there are, are of us, the better. And so I'm thrilled that Nate's serving good 49th Parallel Coffee down the street. You know, I'm happy that Jeff is serving Intelligentsia, you know, half a block away from us. I don't want people to quit going to Credo Coffee. I want them to... I, what I hope Transcend can add to the equation is that we just, we, again, awaken people's idea to this, or their awareness to this notion that 
there's something different. There's something other than Second Cup or, or, or Starbucks or Timmy Ho's, right? Like it's, and, and they're not just different, but there's, there's a substantial departure from that. And people start to understand, because that's really the big deal for us is we want people to understand all the issues that come with coffee, right? It's this black beverage that so many people drink. It's caffeine in the morning, but it's so much more complicated than that, right? And you would know that better than anyone else because you've traveled the world sourcing your beans, haven't you? Yeah. So yeah, we go. We we we're working towards a, what we're calling a. We want to be 100% relationship based by 2012, and so I, I think we're about 80% there right now. Um, but yeah, we go meet with the farmers. We're dealing with them directly. We still use exporters and importers because we have logistics, and we're starting to buy enough coffee now that I can't afford to pay for everything up at fr- up front. We're buying too much of it, but it's it's there's just so many issues at origin in terms of quality and agriculture and harvesting and processing all of these things factor into the quality of the, the product that we receive and then we do our thing and we're we're good at what we do we have a great roasting team we've got amazing baristas but so much of what we do is dependent on what happens at origin and it's and it's so it's about that partnership with the producers and it's also a learning learning for both of us they learn from us and we learn from them and to the point now where we're seriously contemplating actually buying a farm in Costa Rica holy cow that's huge yeah we it's it's sort of this multifaceted vision of vertical integration where we're growing our own coffee but it's more than that it's an opportunity for us to really start to understand the, the dynamics and the, the forces on the ground where coffee grows because it's easy to, to sort of it's really it's dangerous to sort of come into a country where coffee grows and then sort of you're the white guy with all the answers and they, they look to you because they want to sell you the coffee and they're like, well, what should we do? And I'm like, I don't know. I'm not a coffee farmer. Like, That's not what I'm about. But So it's giving us, we want to have an opportunity where we can really start to understand the dynamics at force, how you know different varietals do under different conditions, how what, what weather conditions and different terroir do to the quality of the coffee. And then obviously it'll give us an opportunity as well because we really want to start to do this sort of coffee ecotourism thing. And if we have our own place, it'll be a lot easier to bring people down and give them more in-depth understanding of what's going on you know, in coffee-producing countries. Kind of almost like a winery tour of coffee. Yeah, well, we're planning, we were going to do it this year. Like we were, I was actually interviewed on Global, and uh, we were trying to put one together for, for like, this week, yeah. and it, or next week, actually. And people were just like, oh, that sounds awesome, but it's too short notice. And then when this opportunity came up, it was like, there's no way. We can't do all of it together. So the plan is for next February to do a coffee tour. So, And we're going to take 12 people, and we're going to, they're going to visit the farms that we buy coffee from in Costa Rica. They're going to learn about how coffee grows and see a process, see it picked, have a little fun too. You know, we'll visit the cloud forest and go to the beach and all that stuff. But so we're going to do that regardless. But if we had a farm, it would just be that much more easy for us to sort to not impose and to sort of this is our space. You can spend a couple of days here, and we can really sort of help you understand some of the issues at play. Are there any plans to uh, to start selling the beans that you guys roast to other independents in Edmonton? Uh, you know, it's a really tough question. It's we've actually we've been we've we've bounced like a ping pong ball on this one. We we started off with wholesale, and then I was like, I don't want to be wholesale. I just want to be retail, and, and we're mostly retail. Most of our income comes from retail, which is really beneficial right now for us because. The, the price of coffee has gone up about 100% in the last six months. The C market's gone up that much. And so, and it's, there's no real fundamentals behind that increase. It's, it's this perfect storm of, of Colombia and Brazil 
shorting the markets, which creates a bump anyways, but then it's also the U.S. government and the Federal Reserve pumping money into the economy like it's water because they're trying to stimulate their economy and banks got all this money. They're like, what do we do with it? And so they're just investing in commodity and commodities across the board are up, way up, right? So coffee's way up compared to last year. And so it's creating chaos in the marketplace and chaos on, on the ground where coffee's, because farmers now can sell the coffee for twice as much as they did last year without doing anything different, right? So it's making it harder to find good quality coffee. So for us, the retail side of things is great because as the prices go up, we pass that increase on you. We pay three to five times market price for coffee anyway. So, so we've always been a bit pricey on coffee, but it comes with quality. So when it comes to wholesale, we're actually leaning towards shutting our wholesale program down altogether. We're not 100% sure about that, but it's just, it's a lot of work. It's, it's, it's difficult to provide training to other cafes so that they can re represent, transcend the way we want to represent it. It would be a whole other business. It is almost, and we're not very good at it in all honesty. We're not a good wholesaler. We've never been set up for wholesale. We don't do a very good job of it. And if we were going to do a good job of it, we'd really have to focus and sort of change our mindset. What we're good at is making great drinks and selling whole bean coffee to, to customers, right? And so our focus is really to grow our online store more and more. That's what we're trying to grow is online is is the is the future i think we agree with yeah. you like well exactly <laughs> like it's you know in five years you know like i don't buy much stuff at stores anymore right why bother right you can get what you need and and i think so for us our real we really want to focus online and do a really good job you know in canada and then maybe push into the u.s a bit it's the, the, the barriers right now is just shipping Right, so we're having to, we're offering free shipping anywhere in Canada if you buy two bags of coffee or more, but it's we're subsidizing it, right? Because you know it's expensive to ship stuff in Canada. Yeah, so, so uh, you've got three stores now. What other plans do you have for locations in Edmonton, or are you just going to focus on the three for now? Yeah, we're going to take a breath. I think right now, like it's been a crazy ride. Uh, like we go a year ago, we had one location, right? So. It's, it's been a really crazy year. Um, we've, we're, we've got a, a mobile espresso cart in the works. Like nice. um, I inherited my, my, my parents' Ford F-150 and a little gooseneck trader, and we're going to turn that into a mobile espresso cart. That way you can hit like festivals. Yeah, and festivals and grill yeah. espresso. So we'll just like drive up to some place in the city one day and start tweeting. It's like, hey, it's transcend coffee in the corner of whatever, whatever. You know, get it for the next three hours, right? So that's the only thing we're going to work on for the rest of this year. And then just take a breath and try to catch our get you know get our legs underneath us and and enjoy the spaces that we have right because it's yeah I mean it's it's a kind of a big business and well we wish you the very best it looks like a pretty good party and uh, I think you you might see us both here fairly often that'd be great yeah you're more than welcome anytime bring your friends very well <laughs> thanks thanks, so thanks for chatting Thank with you. us Paul yeah, that's great. Time to check the old email. Dear Jeff and Sally, what the heck's the Edmontonian.com? Adam and Scott. Well, Adam and Scott, the Edmontonian's a local news and information website, but it's collaborative, so anybody in Edmonton can write and create content for us, and it's all things Edmonton news, neighborhoods, sports, arts, events. Sally, can you get off the phone? I'm trying to answer emails. TheEdmontonian.com, on the internet since 2009. Are you looking for current, relevant, highly specialized digital media instruction? You need to seek out 
The Guru. Guru Digital Arts College offers intense six-month programs that simulate real-world projects. You'll work in small classes in a casual professional environment and meet industry pros who offer a mentor-style approach to learning. Some institutions make the same claim, but with Guru, you'll develop the confidence to get out and become a part of the digital media community. Come visit us anytime. Check out a class, talk with our instructors, and be part of the Guru experience. For more information, email info at gurudigitalarts.com or call 1-877-429-4878. We should take a moment at this time to thank some people who are very special to us at Spe the Unknown Studio. And special because they give us money. Yes, yeah, primarily. Primarily. But but also because in this particular case, they've given us fabulous prizes for our uh, for our most humiliating thing ever contest. Which is still going. It's still going. And we want you to be a part of. That's your right. listener. That's absolutely right. So if you call 509-252-0185 and leave us a message on our Gift of Gab listener line telling us your most humiliating ever experience, you could win fabulous prizes from our sponsors. And they include um, a $100 gift card from our friends at the Traveling Tickle Trunk. Very nice of them to supply that. Uh, Some wonderful Edmonton Journal swag from our friends at the, the Edmonton, Edmonton Journal. Journal. That's right. Those ink-stained wretches provided us with an Edmonton Journal jacket and toque, and they're giving our second-place winner uh, two tickets to any Citadel production they like to see. Pretty cool. That's sexy. It is very sexy. And finally, last but not least, our, our grand prize for our most humiliating ever most humiliating thing ever contest is being supplied by our friends at Guru Digital Arts College. They are giving away a iPod Touch. So I thought that was pretty great. I, we really appreciate them helping us out with this. Indeed. So, uh, how do we go from wrestling to music? If wrestling is a business, and you're in another business, the business of music, mm -hmm. how much is that about the art form for you? Um, how did you get into it? That kind of thing. How, I guess, how do you go from wrestling in Halifax to waiting tables with one hand. Oh, sorry, uh, wrong coast. Wrong so, coast. Oh, sorry, Vancouver. sorry. Vancouver. I don't know why. Vancouver. I uh, and if you are in the lower mainland area, I highly recommend Extreme Canadian Championship Wrestling, eccw.com. Some very, very talented uh, local red performers. There are some of now who are in Ring of Honor and such and such. Um, well, I mean, the thing is, music is my first love. I see. And, I mean, I've, I don't know, there's no real rule. There's just, you know, you just eventually fall into music and some people like music some people love music i suppose you know um and being at the age i am you know when i'm really at the age to start appreciating music i mean backtrack first of all i was raised on some decent tunes right my dad you know i grew up with tragically hip with acdc with all sorts of good classic rock because that's what my dad listened to so it's not like i was growing up and whatever i mean but i was still you know eight nine years old i'm listening to new kids on the block and whatever right you yeah you yeah but when I really started getting into music on my own was when, you know, it was kind of right around the time of Kurt Cobain's death. Okay. So I was just a little too young to be into it when it first hit, but it was a little bit after that. Um, but I think the first thing that really, I remember Collective Soul's um, self-titled album with Gel in December was a huge album for me. Soul Asylum, Misery was, was really big for me. Offspring Smash. Uh, tea Party at the time, it was The Edges of Twilight, but the first thing that, like, I mean, I loved that stuff. The first thing that I remember just was something special for me 
There are two songs. One would have been Tonight Tonight, the first time I saw a music video by the Pumpkins. Yeah. Just, you know, I'm chills thinking about it now. The first time I ever saw that video, I was like, wow, what is this? This is, And I didn't even like the Pumpkins to that point. I'd seen the, the Bullet Butterfly Wings, and I was like, eh. And that changed everything for me. I went out and bought that double album and just... And then the other one, as much as would be Glycerin by Bush. And as much as Bush, you know, doesn't necessarily hold up that well. And I don't know. I, I would disagree with that. I love going back and listening to Bush. 16 Stone has some pretty good tunes on it. Second album's got a handful. In in general, they're not... They're riding the wave yeah. very clearly. Yeah. Um, but that song, again, first time I heard it, first time I saw the video, this was back when Much Music played music videos for all the you know young people in the audience, when that was what they did. Yeah, that's how music television used to work, everybody. I don't think the M even stands for music anymore. I think they They just call it, it much, they just, don't they? They just call it much. I don't, I mean, obviously. Well, much but, music is not MTV. Much no, but music so is much like the is Canadian the same, but so much MTV. of what much shows is the MTV program. So. Well, yeah, it's, it's the Canadian MTV. It really is, even though there is an MTV Canada, but I don't even know what's going on with that. So, um no, so the first time, you know, those two songs especially really just, and that was kind of that era, and then I started buying CDs and buying music, and, you know, so definitely like the rock. And, you know, when you talk about, so, I mean, I loved music for a long time. I went through a period in my life where I just kind of stopped. Like, I still bought music, but I just had nothing in me. You know, I always wrote songs and played guitar and such and such. I just never never followed through. Yeah on a lot of those, you know, musical ambitions. I had, you know, a band up in Grand Prairie before I decided to leave that to go to Kelowna to chase some girl that was never going to happen. So, you know. Um, I feel like every musician has a story like that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm not I'm not unique. I am not a unique and special snowflake for sure. <laughs> but there was a point in my life where I was engaged and I broke up with this girl, uh, you know, and it was a bad breakup. And for a long time, I just literally, I, I couldn't pick up a guitar. I got anxious if I did. I just had nothing in me. And so I went this period, um, which is, you know, around the time I also started um, reconnecting with the woman who had become my wife, who I'd known before, where I had like no artistic outlet. And I got super depressed, you know, nothing. And eventually, you know, I was just sitting there. We were out camping down in Oregon. And she's like, you know, I'm sick of listening to this. I needed this too. So, I mean, don't, she's not being a jerk here. She's, this is, I was being a whiny little baby. She's like, I need you need to do something. If you want to do wrestling, do wrestling. I will support it. And so I decided to do wrestling because music just wasn't there for me. And doing wrestling, when I got out of it, it renewed me. And I felt music again. Now, I was still on the coast. I was living in Abbotsford, and I tried to start a band, and it was just it was like banging your head against the wall. If you're not right in Vancouver, it's pretty pain in the ass, and it's just going to happen. But, you know, we'd already been talking about moving back to Edmonton. Family and our friends are here. My life's here. I've been much happier in my adult life in, in Alberta than I have in BC, um, for sure. And that was in, we moved back in May, was it? Around of, there? of this year? Of 2010, sorry? Last year. Okay. And then uh, a couple months later, I was, I wasn't, I didn't want to rush into a band or anything. I'm like, I'll just post a Kijiji ad. And I was pretty specific. I'm like, I want this and this and this and these kind of people. And then uh, Brian, uh, who plays bass, and Jen, who plays uh, drums, kind of all connected with me through that and we eventually got us all three together went to have a jam and in the process of that jam like pretty much wrote a song played it for two hours and sat there and kind of kind of said i don't know about you guys but i'd like to keep doing this because it just and that song is a it's a song we love playing it's called it's a trap and it the arrangement has not changed all that much 
That's awesome. Um, from that first practice, like other than adding lyrics and you know tweaking it and making it better and you know making sure everything, all the parts, all the transitions work, and that was kind of the start of it. So since then we've been jamming, 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 and uh, you know we're just now starting to want to really get out and do about gigs and things like that. We didn't want to rush. You know we wanted to bring something to the table once we started playing. Um, so that's basically the genesis of that band, and and, and it's wonderful. It's the chemistry between the three of us is fantastic. Uh, it's you know a shame that we couldn't get here, but you know, that's an indie band. We all have lives and jobs and yeah. school and, and things going on, and it can be tough to sometimes get those schedules working. But uh, ama- the chemistry is fantastic. Uh, we just click so well. We have a good time together. We can hang out. And musically, it just it just works. Yeah, yeah. I hear sometimes, that. sometimes a beautiful thing just comes together. It's, it's like what we've done here, Scott. Basically. We are, in a way, living the rock star dream. If the rock star had a talk show. Yes. Yeah, I think that's... Howard think that's, Stern is, is a talk show host who lives the rock star dream. Well, I mean, we I, can be like Howard Stern without the drugs and the whores. Well, I don't know about that. <laughs> well, you guys didn't tell me that you had, like, fangirls beating on the glass when you were doing this show. Yeah, I mean, we, we've actually had to start hiring security to uh, when we record. because I, I'm not sure if I feel like I'm in uh, Hard Day's Night or a zombie movie, actually, but... Either a way, little, a little both, really. Yeah. Let's be perfectly honest. Some of those people are undead. Oh, okay. There's, That's fair. There's no question. <laughs> Absolutely. So you, so you meet uh, Jen and Brian. Correct. And you, you find you've got this fantastic chemistry to get together, and and now you guys are coming out with uh, an EP. Correct. Tell us a little bit about that and what the process of recording it was like. Um, well, we uh, wanted to get together about July, so we playing and playing and playing, and the thing. We were just, we really felt like, you know what, what's the point in going out and trying to sell ourselves with no music for people to listen to? So um, Brian knows this guy in town named Jeffrey Walter. Uh, He plays guitar in a hardcore band called As Bold As Lions. You can check them out on MySpace and Facebook and stuff. They're a a heavier band, definitely in the hardcore scene. Uh, And uh, he's just got kind of a little startup home studio going on, and Brian's buddies with him, so we basically was like, you know, okay, I'll record you guys. You know, we'll record some songs with him for... I think Brian actually... The cost was Brian gave him a, a, a spare Telecaster he had. So that was the cost. We gave him a guitar right on. Um, to, to record us and mix it. And, uh, you know, it's very raw. It's very... You know, it's a representation of what the band sounds like and, and sounds live. But it's, you know, pretty solid. Uh, it was a cool experience. You know, um, it's a weird experience because by the end of recording, you're a better musician... But that recording's kind of capturing that stuff that's there. So right. now we go back and listen to it, and I'm like, well, we could have done this better and done this better, and we're better this, and we play this song better now. But, you know, you go with what the time. It, and it, it, recording is cool. You know, I mean, obviously, anyone who's been in the industry knows you know, tons more about this than me, and it's just it's new to us, but it's a lot of fun. And But we're taking it slow, too, you know? So we got this EP. We got this whole thing set up. We got it mastered by my friend uh, Nathaniel Stir up in Grand Prairie. He has a studio called Dovefire Sound, um, which is dovefirerecords.com. And uh, he does a pretty good job, so he mastered it for us. And he's a good friend of mine, and he just wants to support the band, so he did it for fun. And uh, so we got these five songs. We got this EP. We got it pressed locally at Gateway uh, Screen on 118th. Nice. And uh, they just, they're good for short runs of T-shirts and, and CDs and things like that. And Johnny is uh, Johnny's really helpful and helps you figure shit out. And uh, so we got a small run of that. And, you know, we're going to do a big CD release bash on March 11th at DV8 Tavern, which is uh, 8307 99th Street. 
just north of White there by that pawn shop, but it's a cool little underground rock bar. Yeah, very close to one of our sponsors, the Traveling Tickle Trunk. Indeed it is. We'll get, uh, we'll I get don't more into them a little bit. <laughs> I don't, I'm not, uh, yeah. Yeah, not the, same, not the same crowd. <laughs> Definitely not the same crowd. No. Uh, no, so yeah, but it's fun. It's it's fun to have a recording. It's fun to have stuff like that, you know. Uh, it's it's the indie band thing. I mean, it's something we sell at shows and sell online. It's, you know, we don't have, there's no distribution. There's no big record deal or anything like that. That's, I think more more bands experience than not right yeah definitely are you looking for the big record deal or do you guys think this is something you'd like to manage on your own or with just a couple trusted friends well the thing about music and and this comes from basically each of us have been playing music for a good long time jen is an absolutely fantastic drummer she's been taking lessons for probably eight nine years she still takes lessons she's doing jazz right now which i love because it adds to the band it gives us some different flavors and you know jimmy chamberlain of the smashing pumpkins was a jazz trained drummer it's one thing that sets that band apart is the drumming because it's different than so much of the grunge stuff that was out at the time. Yeah. Um, um, and Brian's just a, just a super energetic, great bass player. You know, uh, he plays a Thunderbird bass, which is just so sexy. And, you know, he just bounces around on stage, you know, and he knows a million people. So we all have that. The thing with this band, we've all had friends in bands. We've all watched other bands make mistakes. And there's a, and the thing with music, I think with a lot of art, there's just nobody to tell you how to do it, right? You do it, you make mistakes. Like, for instance, uh, Friends Bands of Mine, they threw a CD release show and they didn't have any CDs because they didn't come in in time. Oh, brutal. So it's like probably one of the biggest opportunities, especially as an indie band, to sell your CD to the you know people who are there because it's your CD release show and they didn't have the CDs. And, you know, it's there's various reasons for it. It wasn't just, you know, it wasn't like they just made a terrible decision. It was just, you know, again, a learning thing, you know, and, and all these other things. And I think the biggest thing for us is, uh, you know, Jen's in school. Um, Brian's doing, doing some school too. And, you know, works full time. I work, uh, I have a wife, I have a baby on the way and I'm going to school in, in fall and too. So in that respect, like I said before wrestling, you know, you can't really do as a hobby. You have to do it part time music. I think you can do part time as well. You still got to put in your time, you got to put in your practice, do your thing. And I don't think there's anything. In fact, I think it's wise to start small and start local. Yeah. And I think, I think you get all these bands that when they're really young and you're young, you've got no ties, no attachments. You're like, oh, we're a band. We got to go tour. We got to go do this and this and this. And you tour for nothing. You make no money. You don't really do anything because you're just figuring out. I mean, and that's how you figure it out to be a better band. Well, when we, if we go out and tour, by the time we go out and tour. We want to go into those towns with a stage show that we have developed and is awesome, and we are going to kick everyone's ass, and they're going to say, holy hell, the accident will was friggin' awesome, and I am going to see them again if they come. You guys should check this band out. Yeah. Where Rather than go on to stage and be like, well, this band's obviously, you know, figuring themselves out still. And <laughs> every, everyone's seen these opening bands that they have nothing going on, right? They're just some band on stage playing songs. We don't want to be that band. And you can't get away from it entirely, but... You know what? Fact is, you know that we played a show at Bricks Bar underneath the Starlet Room uh, last Friday, or February twenty fifth, depending on when this airs. Yeah, I think that was a Friday. It was a Friday, and you know what? We might not have a lot of shows under our belt, and we've got room to improve. There's always room to improve, but we had a ton of energy. We kicked that stage's ass, and you know there. Are, people who were like oh paying attention they like the band that's you know, great. this one security guard told uh, somebody else who was a friend of ours was like oh you just missed them they're great you know so we just want to leave that kind of impact in the room and if we can't do that well then what's the point in like setting up a canada tour what's the point in doing that what's the point in setting up a canada tour for gas money 
I don't even see a purpose. I never heard it put quite that way. I guess you, I mean, obviously, you need to have that initial fan base to be able to get out there and do that kind of thing. Or even as uh, as Ryan mentioned, like having having developed yourself and your show and your sound enough that even if you don't have like a cross Canada fan base, you could cross the country and build a fan base easily yeah. because you're showing something polished that people are going to like. Yeah, I mean, indie bands that cruise through towns are probably, and this might be a little crass, but a dime a dozen. I mean, if you're not doing something to set yourself apart, then you get drowned out in the noise of all that other, all those other bands, right? Mm-hmm. Well, that's why there's not a million successful bands. <laughs> like for every it's one, just like wrestling. For every one radio it's head, it's a lot like wrestling, to be honest. Yeah. yeah, but but for every radio head, there's got to be like ten or twenty bands that they're standing on the shoulders of, right? You know what wrestling is? Rock and roll ballet. <laughs> there you go. Because <laughs> the wrestling industry and the rock and roll industry are so similar. Almost everything that I've learned in wrestling, I can apply to this. You need to work the fans. You need to engage the crowd. You need to bring them in, make them feel part of the performance. You need to do all this. You need to go out and have something polished. You need to sometimes feel out your crowd. Like, maybe we need to not do our heaviest stuff tonight because this crowd is maybe a little whatever. I mean, you have to be able to adapt. You have to be able to do whatever. And both businesses have shady promoters. Both businesses <laughs> have people who rip you off. Both businesses have people who stab you in the back. After and both businesses you, make you pay your dues starting at the bottom. Absolutely. It's the entertainment I think he business. just had an epiphany, and I think that his wrestling experience is rock, now going to make him into a better rock, rock star. Rock and roll ballet. It's true. And just, <laughs> just like wrestling, when when you have a crappy show, you've always got the flying elbow drop. I mean, you can just fuck up the crowd like that. I, I really want to make sure we have a steel chair on hand at all times <laughs> in case if, if, if uh, shit goes completely left field, we've got an out. Um, and, the, and then the promoter is just like has been hit over the back with the steel chair and is down. And give him a he's, stunner. He's not paying attention. Give him a stunner. Yeah, yeah it's, it's give chaos. Him a stunner. Couple, uh, couple of stone. Oh, the sound beers. guy's back was turned. He didn't catch it. <laughs> <laughs> that always bothered me. That really always bothered me. It's like it's your job to pay attention. <laughs> well played, Scott. <laughs> So I just popped. That was a pop right there, Scotty. <laughs> so what was the, I mean, you've recorded this EP. How long was the process, and did you guys find it difficult? You said you had a lot of fun, but I imagine there were days where you, you felt a little frustrated. Well, being an indie EP, it's something we, we did, I think probably all told, we maybe did 20 to 24 hours doing the actual recording. And that's basically, we record all the guitars, record all the bass, record the drums. And Jen took like two and a half hours because... She's a lot better than Brian and I. <laughs> um, she's just really good, and uh, she, we're very fortunate to have her. She can get clever beats and some rock and stuff. So, um, but anyways, so we had this one big eight-hour day, and then Jen went in and did her stuff, and then just with we did it over the winter and the holidays, and it was just really hard to find, you know, really big chunks of time to do it. So we yeah. went in like for two hours here, for four hours there, a couple hours here, and then we had one big day, a New Year's day, New Year's Eve day. I think actually we managed to. We went in early and we did like six hours to kind of finish it off. And you know, so the difficulty with that, and this is something that you know, I mean, I think any anybody who's ever recorded would be able to tell you. And, and let me be frank for anyone listening, I don't have all the answers. I have opinions, and I've learned a lot through friends and through the experiences of other people and reading and just observing. So, yeah, I mean, in, you know, main lesson learned, man, next time we record, we're booking, okay, we're taking this time off work and we're going in, you know, we're doing eight to 10 hour days and we're working. This is, you have to do it as work. Uh, the mixing part took longer than we expected, but 
you know, uh, again, the guy who mixed it, you know, he works a full time job and has a life and such and such and that. So it's just it's not like he was going to sit there and he had the time or the opportunity. You know, somebody who's doing it as their full time job. Well, that's their project for the next week or two weeks or whatever is they're mixing this and he didn't have that same opportunity. So it took longer to get mixed than we really wanted. But, you know, at the same time, it was what it was. And, and you know, we, again, I told you the price we paid. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, so for uh, an EP that really is probably worth about $300, $400, I think it sounds pretty damn good. Cool. Um, and we got five songs on there. We got songs that people can learn and listen to and sing along to and, and get into and at least, you know, have a real good sample of what our sound sound is because I can't define it. So go figure. <laughs> Last week, I co-presented at Pecha Kucha 9. Pecha Kucha, correctly pronounced Pachakacha, is a Japanese word that means chit-chat. It's essentially a presentation style that gives speakers 6 minutes and 40 seconds to present and develop their idea. They're assisted by 20 slides that automatically change every 20 seconds. You literally have no control over these slides. Now, frequent podcast guest Sean Healy and I decided to give a different sort of presentation— We titled it Urban Planning and Public Health, to keep some people guessing. Essentially, we presented a satire decrying the good things the city started to do in terms of urban planning, but not for the reasons you might think. Here's the audio from our presentation at Pechacucha 9, hosted by Edmonton NextGen. This audio is taken from the Edmonton Journal's live stream of the entire event. Here we are. Next up, we have Sean Healy. He's a software developer and uh, Adam Rosenar. He's the digital strategist. They're both part of the Society of Men About Town. And they're gonna talk about um, public health and urban design in Edmonton, but kind of with a little bit of a twist. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, thank you. My name is Adam. And I'm Sean. And we're here to talk to you tonight about a clear and present danger in the city of Edmonton. If you look at the picture behind me of this vibrant city square, you might think to yourself, man, I wish Edmonton was as busy, as bustling, and as exciting a place as New York or Chicago. Previous city leaders, however, had a different vision for our town, one that saw Edmonton growing out, not up. But recently, Edmontonians voted indirectly for a new direction, starting with the vote for Stephen Mandel and the city center airport lands. This direction at sea a focus on mixed use and transit-oriented development right here in the heart of our city. Now, Sean and I both voted for Stephen Mandel because we thought he was leading us down the right path in terms of urban planning and the city's growth. But we were wrong. Oh, yes. What we're going to show you tonight, and hopefully convince you as well, is that we need to reverse the direction those fat cats up in City Hall are leading us in. Exactly. Now take the entire concept of downtown revitalization, for example. It seems simple enough, and we've had some success at it. If you build capacity to attract residents to the core, you bring retail businesses into the core, and soon events start to take place and communities form, and before you know it, you have a thriving and unique neighborhood right in the center of the city. This, however, is quite possibly the worst idea ever. (laughs) Ever. Edmonton tries its damnedest and does a pretty fine job of providing endless events for citizens all year around. Think of the Fringe, the Winter Light Festival, the Edmonton Folk Music Festival, and Ice on White. These are just a few examples of that uh, je ne sais quoi that allows Edmonton to brand itself Festival City. (laughs) 
These are the events that allow citizens to come together, commiserate over the cold indifference of Jack Frost, or enjoy the incredibly long, bright, warm summer days that make this a great place to live. And these same events are putting us all in tremendous peril. Tremendous peril. And then there are left-wing conspirators, like Councillor Don Iveson. <laughs> you know, the type of person who brands himself not as an aggressive, blood-spitting communist, but as a progressive. <laughs> he would have you believe that the sign of a modern, vibrant city is a transportation system like Edmonton Transit servicing all corners of the map. Edmonton has undertaken just such a project. Current plans would see the LRT expand to Millwoods, Lewis Estates, and even Heritage Valley. The theory, as we understand it, is that by giving citizens transportation options like LRT and buses, not only do you take vehicles off the road, but you actually make the whole city more accessible for citizens, which is probably the worst idea we've ever heard. Ever. <laughs> and what's the deal with this, uh, this thing, this art gallery? Whose brilliant idea was that? Edmonton needs more traditional, practical buildings. Exactly. We don't want to be renowned for world-class architecture. We want people to remember us because we have the world's biggest mall. Or because we, uh, because we have a once-great hockey team that's been a shameful embarrassment for going on five seasons. Besides, the old provincial art gallery was a perfectly constructed, brutalist bunker. That, that new art gallery with its North Saskatchewan-inspired curves, its international exhibits, and, and undeniable cultural benefits to the general population? Two words, Edmonton. Butterdome. Now that... That is architecture. It's architecture. And what is this obsession with putting Edmonton on the map? As much as possible, we should try to stay off of all maps. And that means no more medical, pharmaceutical, or nanotech research. I mean, who cares if we've got the Edmonton Protocol? The byproduct of research that leads to important discoveries like that could be dangerous. Even cataclysmic. Won't someone please think of the children? <laughs> At first, we couldn't figure out why the decriers of this new direction were being so unreasonable. And then it dawned on us, this upstart next-gen crowd has no clue. Edmonton is in danger, my friends, not from communists, data loss, or even coal. But from the completely plausible and totally inevitable zombie apocalypse. <laughs> Why are they laughing? Uh, this is serious. This is very serious. It's undeniable. It's science. And science tells us we're moving backwards, not forwards. Science tells us we've had it right all along. Medical research, pharmaceutical progress, and nanotechnology being among the most likely causes of a zombie apocalypse have to cease immediately. And all scientists, researchers, and doctors expelled from the city. And the LRT, whose harebrained idea was that? I think I know who. More social engineering? Yeah, more social engineering, exactly. Did we learn nothing from 2005's Land of the Dead? Exactly. Zombies are clever. The LRT is going to be simple, accessible. They're going to figure it out. And an art gallery, really, Edmonton? with a beautiful set of exhibits, an inspirational foyer, highly breakable floor-to-ceiling windows, all right, and countless priceless works, useless. We'll need a bunker, or a series of bunkers. More the better. Devoid of all artwork, natural light, or any conceivable zombie access points. And all these festivals, Ugh. allowing people to come together, Gross. get to know each other, Ugh. spread community, spread disease. Exactly. <laughs> Because you know what comes next? I do, Sean. A taste of Edmonton. For, For zombies! zombies.
Finally, the downtown airport, the issue that should have toppled Stephen Mandel from office. Foolish, foolish nonsense, my friends, because it's ridiculous. And the point we're trying to make here is that, well... Those voters knew it. Those voters knew it, and we know it. The downtown airport should never be closed. Never. It's an ideal transportation club <laughs> located pro close to our precious core, and it will allow us to resupply our citizens with the weapons they need to defend their homes, their businesses, and their vintage Euler jersey collections. We used to want the same thing that all of you do now. We a did. vibrant, energetic, global city. <laughs> a destination and haven for budding entrepreneurs and leaders in arts and culture. But Edmonton must get back to its roots as a walled city, as an impenetrable, impregnable fortress. We should still be called Fort Edmonton. We should. We should be hardening ourselves against the inevitable zombie infestation, which is only defensible through Edmonton's oppressivist architectural tradition, key eye towards the drab and uninspired yet zombie-proof future. Thank you. PKNX, or Pecha Kucha 10, will take place on June 17th. So for more information on Pecha Kucha and other next-gen events, you should go to www.edmontonnextgen.ca. And to find out more about the process that Sean and I went through to build our presentation, I implore you to check out theunknownstudio.ca on March 11th when we'll have a post up about it. Thanks for listening. Friends and listeners, and listener friends, I give you the accident will.
Sex Talk brought to you by the Traveling Tickle Truck. Hey, I'm Lauren from the Traveling Tickle Trunk. As you're all aware, March 14th is Steak and Blowjob Day. Oh wait, you didn't know that? Well, Steak and Blowjob Day is a relatively new creation, but it's been catching on over the past few years. It was created by some random guy, several guys have tried to publicly take credit for it, who complained that Valentine's Day was a woman's holiday when they get everything they want. He thought there should be a male version, and thus, Steak and BJ Day was born. We at the Tickle Trunk don't agree with the sexist sentiment inherent in this idea. Most of the women we know want to get laid on Valentine's Day, too. Flowers and candy are nice, but they don't beat an amazing orgasm. Or two, or three. And who says women don't do anything for their partners on V-Day? We saw tons of women making major plans for their guys, and most of them were bound to end up with sex. While we're at it, what if there's no penis involved? Do girls who have girl partners just get Valentine's Day? Are guys who love guys not allowed to do V-Day, or do they get two holidays? As you can see, the whole concept is a bit of a thorny issue. On the other hand, we are totally on board with any holiday that celebrates sex. It might be kind of nice to have one that we didn't have to dress up with all kinds of uber-romantic gestures, and we could just say, Happy Steak and Blowjob Day! Lay back and here it comes! Ultimately, we would encourage you to do something special on March 14th. If there's a man in your life, why not give him a blowjob? Guys, there's no reason you can't reciprocate, too. If you'd like some inspiration, or to learn some new techniques, join us for our workshop, Penis Pleasing 101, on Sunday, March 13th. And at long last, in response to popular demand, we've added a new workshop, Eating the Peach, Everything You Need to Know About Rockin' Your Woman's World, on Monday, March 28th. Check out our sex talk page at travelingtickletrunk.com slash sextalk for all the juicy details. Is there a plan to uh, send it to, to radio stations like Sonic and try and become the band of the month or anything like that? I would, uh, I don't, I think we definitely want to try to push for band of the month. I think we might need a little bit more going on before, if we applied right now, I'm sure they'd take a look at us. And I don't think we'd get in. Sure. Um, I think we need a little bit more going on locally and a little bit more of a solid fan base and some sort of buzz before we can get that. Cause they don't just pick some random band to, to, you know, they want a band that's already got a little bit of stuff going on. Obviously. Yeah. Every band that's been span of the month has been working their ass off locally. So that's what we're doing now is we got to lo- work our ass off locally. Um, you know, there's not a lot of radio stations for, obviously there's not a ton of radio stations for local indie rock bands to go. Sonic's kind of it. And there's that new one though. 95. The 95, sound. Yeah. The sound. They actually play some good modern stuff too. So, I mean, those are some opportunities, but if we can get something going there, cool. If not, well, you know what? There's a lot of bands that do their thing and, and never get on radio. And that's that's true. That's the true. way it goes these days, right? There's always the internet, really. And the internet is, uh, I would argue, probably an immense opportunity for a lot of indie bands. It changes the landscape for musicians, certainly. Because you don't have to rely on word of, uh, You don't have to rely as much on word of mouth, going and doing gigs, uh, trying to get, you know... A handout or some or a shout out from a local radio station. You can post your stuff online, let people find it, and but you can still promote it online. I think. Well, I'm not saying that there's not an element of promotion. There's yeah. an element of self promotion of really anything you do, but it's it's definitely it's uh, 
opened up the landscape, as I believe you said. Agreed. It's yeah. definitely altered the landscape. Not always in good ways, though. No? How do you, you mean? Um, I heard a, I was, this panel of uh, music industry vets talking about the one thing that has changed is that for, there are more bands out there now than there have ever been in music. Like, the number is ridiculous compared to active bands that used to be. because, And that's because it's so much easier. Yeah. Because it's so much easier to get a cheap recording. Because it's so much easier to call yourself a band and play some shows and stuff like that. The problem is that what you used to have, for better or for worse, is you, when you, you, you don't have to go through the same mechanisms you used to um, in order to get yourself. You, know, you can just put it on the web. You can do all the stuff that you... you but the gate, there used to be more, let's say the word, the word used was gatekeepers, right? And so essentially, I think a lot of bands 20 years ago, 30 years ago, you had to be excellent. Yes. You had to be an excellent musician. You had to be a quality performer, a quality musician before you could get to that point. Like you say, okay, these bands, oh yeah, they signed a big label and blew up overnight. Granted, but almost all those bands played for years, had musicians that played for years. And most of them, as much as there are other bands that did nothing and blew up, most of them had been paying their dues somewhere. Yeah. And it's that, I haven't read the book, but that Malcolm Gladwell thing, I think it's the tipping point, maybe not. No, oh, no. yes, the tipping The other point. one, the one about 10,000 hours or oh, five, uh, 3,000, no, not the tipping point, the other one. Blink? I don't know what the hell the book is, but it says to be excellent at anything in life, you have to put in like 10,000 hours, right? Yeah. And now the problem is, and I think, grunge did this because i mean punk did this because grunge is basically the ex an extension of punk punk is we're going to play music even though we can't but of course early punk has so much great rawness in it and grunge had that same thing i'm not taking away from that i love grunge but grunge seemed to really explode that anyone can play music if you don't know how and i, I mean i'll take responsibility for that myself i've had no guitar lessons i picked up and learned how to play i am i am a good guitar player i am not an excellent guitar player i'm more of a songwriter too and you know, it also informs our band's sound. I'm not a shred solo guy. We're also a three-piece. We play drop D riff rock. It's, you know, it's chunky and, and rocky and, and has a little, you know, little and has some edge to it. And that's also because of what I can and can't do on the guitar. Yeah. It, it impacts things. It, it changes things. So now you've got all these people who want to play in a band and guitars are cheaper and everything's cheaper and there's more stores out there where you can get stuff. Like in the States, they got Guitar Center. Blah, blah, blah. Is that like a big box store for guitars? Yeah. Seriously. Same as like kind of, I mean, Long and McQuaid's basically a big box I, store I to an extent, yeah. but it's still more focused. Guitar Center's basically that same deal. Yeah, and it's easier and easier and easier. So you got more and more people who've never taken a lesson, never done anything, never have no idea how to really be a musician playing music because you can. And that's cool, and I'm not against that. But and when you, when you have that that circumstance meeting with the it's so easy to get your music out there. Let's make a crappy demo and put it on MySpace and we're a real band. You get this influx of people like, yeah, there's all these great bands and yeah, the record labels don't have the same power, but holy crap, there's a lot of shitty bands out there today, man. Yeah. There always were, but... But they're more they're easy, more easily accessible. And now, because there are no gatekeepers, people have to, like, I don't know, popular, popular opinion how? is in some ways a filter. And that's how, not necessarily how, a good thing. No, and how do you even stand out? Like... You know, you talked uh, about, you already said it, like there's indie bands going through town a dime a dozen. Everybody has a MySpace with some songs on it. 
everybody has a you know a well not everyone has a website i hate when bands only have a myspace it drives me crazy yeah me too everyone has a facebook and you know i'm glad myspace is dying by the way it's just a terrible site Horrible. Even for musicians, people laud it as a, as a great site for musicians. I think it's the best thing it's for, but I mean, have you tried to go to MySpace sites? They load slow. That is the clunkiest, oh. slowest loading website. Like, and it's just, they just did their big upgrade and it's still bad. It's terrible. Um, we have a MySpace because we need it. The accident will rock. But yes, you know, we have a website. We The website and Facebook are our two biggest things. Facebook is so much better for connecting to your fan base than, than MySpace ever was. And Well, that's where everyone is. That's right. where everyone is, exactly. You don't have to just specifically go there. To... MySpace was great because it was free streaming, especially when we're talking about that's just gone down in price more and more. But there was a time when trying to get something streaming online, where the hell would you do that? Yeah. And MySpace is sitting here, here, we'll let you put music up. Like, you know, that, that was Sold. Absolutely. <laughs> For nothing. For nothing. nothing. Sold. And that's, you know, especially when MP3.com died, MySpace really stepped into that gap. And, you know, made it possible for musicians to do that thing. So, I mean, long story short, I mean, you, somebody could sit there and say, you know, I think our band is better than that. Our band is better than that. We have a five-song EP. Uh, it's a little raw, but it, it rocks. We've got good songs on there. And, you know, if you've got good songs, whatever. The rest all follows. If you've got good songs, it's fine. They'll yeah. stand out if your production isn't perfect, right? You Absolutely. Know what? I'm sorry, we don't have $15,000 right now to go make a professional record. And it would be a stupid investment right now, too. Damn, I was just going to say, if anyone wants to donate $15,000... If you want to donate $15,000, you're more than welcome to. But, I mean, that's the point I made. You said, you know, what's your plans for the future? What's your plans for this? We're starting slow. Yeah. We're starting slow. We're developing our live show. We're going to play the hell out of Edmonton as long as we can. Then you have to cut that back because you've played your hometown as too much. Do some local touring. There's plenty of places to play in Alberta. Try and get on some festivals, try and do all this stuff. And then, you know, in the future, we'll see where it goes. It's like, okay, we feel we probably we've been talking about recording again in August and spending a bit more time on it and spending some more money on it to get something that we really feel is this is a real quality album that we can build on, um, which is knocking the current EP because it's it's a ton of fun and it's some great songs that everyone should check out. It's only five bucks at the show. There you go. And actually online even we're just doing the Radiohead model. Pay what you want. If you just want it for free, if you want to give us a buck, if you want to give us five bucks, you want to have 50, you can have it for whatever you want, even if that number is zero. We just want you to have the tunes right now. When we get there, it's like, okay, well, let's see where we are then in August. Once you know, If we do this other recording, let's see where we are there. Let's see where we are here. Small goals, small plans, small whatever. And if next summer we're like, okay, let's, let's conquer Canada, well, we're going to hopefully be in a position to do that or hopefully have a band that we can, we can really start getting on a booking agency and say, we have this to provide. Because we can cold call every club in Canada to try and get shitty gigs, or we can bring a good enough show that some booking agency will say, "Yeah, we'll we'll promote, we'll uh, book you." Proof of concept is always way easier. Now, I like the idea of starting small, but you must have some some even in your own head outrageous goals. I I, I mean, have we ever talked about goals for ourselves on this uh, on this show? Because I think I think probably deep down, I mean, okay, personal goal, I want one day to to earn the Order of Canada. I have no fucking idea how that's going to happen. <laughs> okay, but that's a goal of mine. Fair enough. So it's a, and it's a crazy goal. Do you have any crazy goals? Like playing, um, I don't know, what's a what's a what's a world famous venue, uh, Radio City Music Hall or something like that. You know what? I'd love to play Madison Square Garden. I want to play <laughs> Seattle and I want to play the Showbox. Okay. The Showbox is an old. It's a Seattle institution. Everybody has played there. You look at their wall, they have all the bands that have played there. I've seen a few shows down there. Um, I don't miss Vancouver, I miss Seattle. Really? I love Seattle. 
Vancouver, I don't give a crap about. Can you tell me what what you don't give a crap about about Vancouver? Because I, I feel like so many people go out there because it's the place to be. It's Hollywood North or whatever. Look, I mean, it is what it is. It, you know, it, BC's great. Vancouver's great. There's a lot of things to love about it. Um, Vancouver's cool. I mean, you got the ocean, you got the mountains, you got all the stuff. If you want to be in, in, you know, movies, if you want to be in film, if you want to, obviously it's a huge place to go. It's not the only place to go, but it's a big place to go. I just feel like Vancouver, I, I think I felt it a lot around the Olympics and the Olympics were amazing being around there, being able to walk around the city during that. It was such a cool atmosphere, but I feel like Vancouver has this inferiority <laughs> complex that really it, i feel like it's trying too hard like they're trying to tell the whole world look at us we are a world-class city we are great whereas seattle is just like <laughs> we're seattle. every time i've been yeah no every Take time i've been in it. seattle they're like we're seattle it's a li-, like i feel like vancouver wishes it was seattle <laughs> you know because seattle really is that laid back and chill and i mean obviously there's all sorts of people in seattle let's not yeah, of course. You know, we all are smart enough to understand that concept. But every, you know, spending a lot of time in Seattle and my friends in Seattle and people down in Seattle, it's just it's just a cool city, man. It's laid back. It's chill. It's rains all the time. Should take or leave, you know. I mean, complain about the weather here, but, man, at least we get the damn sunshine in the middle of winter. Five months of rain gets draining. And there's just a ton more cool stuff going on in Seattle. Vancouver was, is a cool city. It's got some neat stuff going on, but I just... I didn't care to leave it. I was just like, whatever. But going to Seattle, man, I loved it down there. Cool. Loved it so much down there. But if we could play the Showbox, man, that would be fantastic. I would I would be so happy to play the Showbox. I saw some great bands there. and I think my friend just saw... Did you see Motorhead there? I don't remember who we saw there. Wow. We saw somebody awesome there. I mean, real. It's it's just a great venue, man. And it's, Is it huge? Um, it's similar people size to the Starlight Room. Uh, it's shaped differently. You know, it's got some different things going on to it. So... You know, it's a similar kind of room. And, I mean, a lot of great bands have played the Starlet Room, too. It's definitely one of the premier venues in Edmonton, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and Showbox, I think, has that, too, but just has a longer history. And it's right downtown Seattle. Sweet. It's It's right by Park, Pike Market. Like, you're right there. So you can go Pike watch Market. the, is it the fish throwers? Fishers are right, no, right, literally, literally <laughs> right down there. That's you, awesome. You, you take the corner, and there's Pike Market. There's the original uh, Pike Place Starbucks, which isn't even a cafe, eh? There's no chairs in it. Is it? But you can buy a coffee. There. You buy your coffee there, and you, you buy the your. Out. You buy your. I don't even know if they have like the full-on coffee menu. I think you might just buy coffee beans and regular coffee there. Oh, okay. I. It's. It's got this kind of. It doesn't feel like a cafe. It's kind of just feels like this. This place where you go buy coffee. It was. It's. And they've still got the original logo on the side with the full. The full mermaid. You know. Yeah. The full siren. I suppose I should say. Not the. Not the current. You know, one which is so cropped in because they don't want to be controversial. Oh yeah, they had a really bizarre looking logo. What was it? It, it's, it, it's they've just zoomed in. Yes, but that's it's right. the full siren with the tails going up and and you know, boobs, topless. I love um, Starbucks. <laughs> no, but I, I, I you love Starbucks because of the topless mermaid. And no, no, and that's all. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I, but um, I just really dug Seattle, so that'd be a really fun place to play. Um, Brian and I both really want to play this festival in Illinois called Cornerstone Festival, and it's this uh, it's this. Uh, I guess you could call it an alternative music festival that takes place every year. It's been going on for about 20-something years. And it would be a place for us, something we'd really want to play. Um, you know, and obviously it'd be great to play on the East Coast. I've never even really been out there, so it'd be great to play somewhere like that, play Sweet. New York or something like that. And those are dreams. Those are goals. Some realistic, some harder to get to for sure. But, yeah, I mean, if we could play Seattle, if we could play 
you know, it doesn't have to be a show box, but playing a show box would be awesome. No, it has to be. I'm I'm now convinced that it has to be. Oh, there's this other place called El Corazon, though, that's pretty sweet, too. So, I mean, I could deal with playing there. Maybe, maybe you could do uh, on a tour a sh- two shows in Seattle, one each night in, one, in each of those venues. Could do it. I, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Oh, maybe just we, maybe we, I'd, if, if we play Seattle like a couple times a year, I'd be happy. And, <laughs> and that's the thing. Do we ever get to that point? I don't know. For us, and I don't know, I mean, again, we've all got goals, we've all got ambitions, we've all got things. I don't know myself if I want to be a full-time touring musician. It seemed like it would be, it, it would come with its own challenges for sure. Well, right? the thing is, there are lots of bands out there making a living in music that aren't superstars and whatever. If you can bring on a good show, if you're professional, you have good management, good booking. Uh, my buddy Nathaniel, like I said, up in Grand Prairie, he also runs live sound for the club better than Fred's there. They've had tons of bands come through, It's and a lot of them say it's one of the best clubs in alberta for playing really um the owner john john just treats people really well and knows what he's doing and they've got a great sound system a great guy behind the board and bands have a good time and are treated well and get paid go figure yeah um the perfect storm really. pretty much but the thing with that is that nathaniel's like he tells me about these bands that come through and you know tells me what they get paid and i'm like i'm who but it, you don't necessarily have to, if you have a song on the radio, like anything, like even a little bit of play, like, geez, and if you, even if you don't, if you can bring something and do something and bring some people in, like, I think bands, I think a lot of artists do this. You sell yourself short. You're so desperate to get people to have your product, your art, your theater, your whatever, that you, you don't believe what you're worth. I think, um, I don't I don't know if I should say this, but I think Stan Wu from Apocalypse Cow was telling me for the longest time they didn't, they charged whatever their rate was and they didn't feel like, you know, that they would get gigs if they charged more. And then, you know, he told me eventually they're looking around and seeing these other acapella groups with less experience in them, less gigs, um, you know, whatever, charging twice as much or more than them and getting it, you know, and it's like, well, why are we, do we not feel we're worth that, you know? Eventually, you come to a point where you got to say, like, well, if you can't afford us, then we're not playing your gig. You know, we are a real professional group that's put in a lot of times to this. You know, Apocalypse Cow may be part-time, but they're very good at what they do. They put a lot of time in, and they've developed, they have really developed themselves, and they know what they're doing, right? They are worth X amount, and I think a lot of artists, not them, not, it's not, it's so common. You sell yourself short. Yeah, I think that a lot of artists are, are performers of any kind would be worried about pricing themselves out of being able to do any shows at all. I mean, that that's the sort of irrational fear that I would think comes out of something like that. Yeah, because uh, there's always going to be someone else who's willing to go up four pennies to your dollars, and uh, but then, it's just then a, you're concerned that you're just not going to get gigs. But right? those people are then ruining the art form for you because you have shittier musicians. who are, uh, Wrestling has the same problem. All these guys who so badly want to work, they'll work for nothing. And yeah, when you're starting out, you aren't going to get paid very much, especially on local feds, because really you draw 50 people at 10 bucks a ticket. You're not making any money as a promotion. you got to pay all this other stuff. But you have to ask for something. Yeah. Because if you're willing, and because and there are promoters out there that would rather take the guys who work for free and the guys who want to get paid. Well, they're taking the crappier wrestlers, which means the whole product's worse, which means the whole thing is getting hurt. And music, because there's more of it going on, isn't hurt in the same math method. Yeah. But at the same time, it's like, if you've got promoters out there who 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 want to just hire shitty bands because they cost less? Well, how is that helping anybody? It's not helping the bands because they suck and nobody's coming to see them, and they're not getting better because they're not playing with better bands at better pr- venues, and they're not helping the promoters because they're not making any money, and they're not helping the good bands who need the gigs who could bring people in because they're getting shafted. Well, then at the end, of the the worst case scenario is that all those venues can't book decent bands anymore, and no one's coming out to music shows anymore. So, 
And Eric, I mean, that's you've just, you've just destroyed a whole industry. And that's obviously not going to happen. Right. Of course but, not. You know what? You've got to believe if you don't believe that your art is worth value in any form of art, you are you are doing yourself a disservice mm-hmm. completely. And I'm not saying that this band right now, we deserve five hundred dollars a gig. We've got some ways to go. Absolutely. You know, we completely do. But we're not going to play for nothing. No. And I don't think you ever should. You know, and we are playing a fundraiser on April 9th for uh, some uh, community support thing in Insured Park. And OK, so that's different. We're. I just said we're going to play for free. Well, we're not getting paid for the fundraiser, but it's a fundraiser. Yeah, yeah, no, that's something. It's different. also an all ages show, which is something we haven't been able to do yet because there's not there's a lack of all ages venues in Edmonton, and we can sell our merchandise, right? And realistically speaking, if we can sell, you know, that's good. But that's that's a circumstantial thing, and that's another thing about being a perform at our thinking. You got to be flexible. Absolutely, you got to be flexible. These are the things that I believe, and the things that I've learned from various sources, and I really believe them, and I think they'll work. Our music. I think our music and our show is is, is is quality. I think you come and see us, you're going to enjoy it. You know, I think you're going to be able to rock out. I want you to rock out. We want you up on stage. We are having a blast on stage. You know, we are going to to cre- create chaos on that stage, and we are going to rock it out. We're going to climb over it like it's a jungle gym. We're going to do everything we can <laughs> because that's just what we do. Me and Brian just start going, man. Awesome. It's not choreographed. It's just it is, and that's rock and roll. At least you're going to be entertained, even if you don't like the music. Now, before before we do anything else, tell me again when and where your gig is. All right, March 11th at DV8, 8307 99th Street. Uh, doors are at 9 o'clock. It's $5 cover. Drink specials before 10. We are going to be playing. We're headlining. We'll be on stage around midnight. Great. We have the band Bad Acid from, uh, f- I believe, from uh, Fort Saskatchewan playing. They do uh, 70s kind of blues rock sound. They're a uh, ton of fun. They do some covers, they do some originals, and they're just a real talented group of guys. And then the band D'Souza Drive, another local band, they've got their thing going on. They're uh, friends with our uh, my bass player Brian there, so they will be doing us a favor and, and playing second. Cool. So you're going to have two great bands come up, and then we're going to come up and we're going to kick your ass. And if you don't believe me, show up at the gig, and, and we are going to blow your mind. All I can, you know, we've got some stuff planned, we've got some good ideas planned. All I have to say is my drummer walked into the drum shop the other day and walked out with about six cowbells. Awesome. So I'm just saying. I'm just saying. You want cowbell? There will be cowbell. <laughs> and uh, your your EP is also going to be available the online EP, yep. after you've done your your yep. launch on Friday. The EP, the other side of forever. It's five tracks of of uh, hard rock goodness with a little bit of atmosphere and some punk edge to it. That is available. We'll have that for sale at the show. Each individually hand numbered collector's editions Ooh. in gold and silver ink. Seriously? I did, I did it myself. Wow. I know. It's so sexy. His <laughs> his wrist is still sore. Yeah. I've noticed that. I noticed him just shaking it the whole time. Awesome. Well, hey. Um, so, yeah, that'll be there. And then, yes, it will be online. Um, we have a little online shop set up. We're going to have a T-shirt. We've got T-shirt for sale there, stickers, buttons, pins. we got all the all the band crap, right? Uh, we got a really cool T-shirt design. We've got some other ones coming up the pipe, too. They're just, you know... It, you don't even have like the band. It's just a cool ass T-shirt design, right? So sweet. That's the way you got to do it. You want the T-shirt to look cool enough that people will wear it. Yeah, exactly. Period. exactly. You know, the band name is just kind of on there as long as the design is cool. Um, so we'll have that, and then online www.theaccidentwill.com is the main site, which has the portals to our eight million social networking things. Because that's kind of what I guess you need those now. Apparently, I don't even know how you are a band without having them on like eight different sites these days. Um, but we do have it available. Or we'll have it available. We're kind of figuring out the logistics of it for download, full MP3, like 320 kbps MP3 quality. So high quality audio files, uh, 
digital download, digital EP, and we're going to use the pay what you want model. Cool. At least for a limited time, but uh, so you can just come check the tunes out and just grab them, put them on your iPod, and rock out. Right on. Now then, I think it's uh, it's time for Adam's favorite part of the show. You mean the Fast Fifteen? I sure do. So, Ryan, since I know you probably listen to the Unknown Studio all the time, I shouldn't have to explain what's about to happen, but I will anyway for your benefit. The Fast 15 is a series of 15 questions we ask of all our our guests. The first 13 are standardized, Mm -hmm. so we ask all our guests the same questions. The last two are tailored to you, Ryan Rowe. Terrifying. So here we go, the Fast 15, with the Accident Wills, Ryan Rowe, number one, your favorite food. Steak. Number two, your favorite color? Green. Are you a Mac guy, a PC guy? Okay. I do have an Android phone, though, but that's because iPhones are too expensive. You're branching out. I like that. Dogs or cats? Cats. Coffee or tea? Tea. Your favorite holiday? Frick, I don't even know, man. I guess Christmas. Your favorite sport? Hockey and or pro wrestling. Your favorite pastime? Besides playing music, ah, jeez, turtles or comic books. Right on. Your favorite music right now? Um, the new Smashing Pumpkins stuff is really kick-ass. Uh, not even joking. Uh, it's all available for free on their website. The new stuff is fan-friggin-tastic. It's amazing. Uh, another band I'm really digging right now is uh, 30 Seconds to Mars. The new one's good. And there's a new Striper album. It's all covers albums, so they're doing uh, Ozzy and, and Iron Maiden and... Uh, Judas Priest are just doing some really wicked covers of that. Very cool. All right, your favorite movie right now? Uh, well, uh, I just enjoyed The King's Speech, but my favorite movie is is Hot Fuzz. Oh yeah, Shadow of a Doubt. My I I lost I lost it in the theater watching it. I couldn't <laughs> even stay in my chair. It was just ridiculously funny. I love that movie. Yeah, Nick Frost and Simon Pegg or something. I else. do have a little crush on Simon Pegg. I will admit that. I finally saw Spaced. So good. Mm-hmm. Right on. Uh, your favorite video game. Playing a lot of the Lego games right now. <laughs> <laughs> and now, what about Star Wars or Star Trek? We have a song called It's a Trap. Which do you think? I think Star Wars, and I'm okay with that. <laughs> if you could have one superpower, what would it be? Teleportation. And now we're on to your wildcard questions, Ryan. Your first one, your overall favorite wrestler. <laughs> oh, I knew that would stump you. The easy answer used to be Chris Benoit. That is no longer the case uh, due to obviously the horrible tragedy that unfolded with that um, but you know what I think probably my favorite wrestler right now is the American Dragon Brian Danielson um, who currently is Daniel Bryan in WWE All right. I just love that guy he's just fantastic cool and your last wild card question the last question of the Fast 15 what is the best live show you've seen recently 30 Seconds to Mars was really good. Where did you see them? Uh, they played at uh, Reds or whatever it's called now. Eds, I think. I, Edmonton Event Edmonton Center. Edmonton Event Center. Uh, yeah. 30 Seconds to Mars played that. Uh, I, I've i never really been involved in, like, 30 Seconds fan base or anything like that, so I'm kind of removed from any trappings of them or Jared Leto being kind of a weirdo. Yeah. I just kind of stumbled upon their music and didn't even realize that so many people liked them. Hmm. But, man, they put on a hell of a show. Lito was, like, such a fantastic front man. It, it, it was such an engaging show. It kicked so much ass. You know, uh, 
absolutely one of the best shows. And then uh, this Celtic punk band, the other one that's really great is Flatfoot 56. They came through Edmonton uh, last June, actually, and they played at the New City in their old location before they moved. And they're just Celtic punk from Chicago, and they kick a ton of ass. Well, there you go. That was the Fast 15 with Ryan Rowe. Thanks for joining us today, Ryan. Yeah, it was awesome. I really appreciate it, you guys. Uh, thanks very much for the helping out with the band. And I can promise anyone who comes to March 11th, there will be there will be more cowbells than you can handle. <laughs> and we might just see a steel chair to the side of somebody's head. Can't wait. You've been listening to The Unknown Studio, episode 44. Our guest, Ryan Rowe. Pre-production by Adam Rosenhart. Post-production by Scott C. Bourgeois. The Unknown Studio is a proud member of the League of Extraordinary Media. You can visit us on the web at theunknownstudio.ca. Thanks for listening.
Scott doesn't know that I'm recording this right now. He's gone to escort Ryan out of the building. Let me tell you a little story about Scott. He's fabulous. He cares about his friends. And he cares about his friends, friends, friends. And you know what else he cares about? Cthulhu. Cthulhu is the god of... Bourgeois, I think? I don't actually know. I don't actually really know. I will tell you this about Scott, though. He's got flowing blonde locks, and I want to run my fingers through him while he's sleeping.